Hello and welcome to this edition of the Manager Tech Talk series. I'm Ruth Morton and this is Jonathan Rosenberg. Hello everyone. And we are on episode eight. Actually. Wow, can't believe it's been eight already. I know. Today we're going to be talking about de-risking your Windows deployment. One of the things about operating system deployments, and I know from my previous life, life before Microsoft, is that when you're rolling out a complete operating system, it affects everything. Sure does. Um, sure and does. unlike when you're deploying the back end, the servers, the, the, the end users really see this this kind of project. So, And the developers everything. feel it, of course. And the developers feel yeah. it, too. They feel yeah. the pain. So. Um, to hear with us in the studio, we actually have a special guest. We have Dave, um, and I'm going to say Koala, but it's not Koala, it's Kawula. Uh, Kawula, yes. yes. Yeah, that's right. We, were, we got it right before the show. That was a, that was a good yeah. 15 minutes before the show practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, Dave, why don't you introduce yourself and um, tell our audience a little bit about your background and what you do. Perfect. Thank you very much, Ruth and Jonathan. Uh, my name is Dave Kawula. I'm a senior consultant with uh, One E Software. We're based out of New York and headquartered out of London. And so we specialize in helping organizations find IT efficiency. And one of the ways that we do that is through a, a stack of solutions um, that are centric to Windows 7 deployments. And uh, we've got a lot of customers across North America and all over the world, and we've had some great successes with that. And in another life, I, uh, I take and I work very closely with Ruth and Jonathan as a data center technology specialist with Microsoft Canada as well. Excellent. Yes, he does. We're really excited to have you on the show today. Um, I know you have a wealth of experience to share with us. And um, I know you've actually had some really interesting experiences doing uh, particularly client deployments. So uh, you were telling me a bit about a story about an oil rig or something before the show? Yeah, for sure. We always hear about these uh, these stories about you know Windows deployments and, and how painful they can be for not only the end user, but also um, the IT organization having to put these, these things together. So traditionally with a Windows deployment, you have to build a base image, you have to prepare your applications, you have to take and um, you've got to find a way to deliver it to these uh, to these organizations. Well, traditionally, when we do that and we design it, we think that everything's on a highly converged network. We've got fast connectivity, really great convergence, you know, low latency. But what if you've got uh, branch offices that are in remote parts of the world? And one of the most extreme cases of that is an oil derrick sitting out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. The only connectivity they have is a 64K WAN link. Yeah, it's probably no, uh, no cable out there. And it's over satellite. Yeah. You do have cable, but it's really long. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Yes, you got me on that one. And right. so uh, with, with, the right, uh, with the right measures and tool sets in front of them, this organization is able to deploy Windows 7 without having to ship helicopters out to the rig with USB sticks or DVDs. They're actually sending the images and the applications down natively across the satellite link. And uh, they actually enable those users to even uh, self-serve for those applications and those OS deliveries. So it's it's pretty amazing to see where technology has come from early days of you know deploying you know Windows 95, 98. And now we're all the way up to Windows 7 and soon yeah. to be Windows 8. Cool. I'm actually still stuck on the fact of, of helicopters. I think yeah. even though uh, probably business-wise doesn't necessarily make that much sense, but um, experience-wise, I'm sure it's quite. Did you get to go on one of the helicopters? No, unfortunately, I didn't. But helicopters are way more efficient than rowboats. Okay, oh, yeah. fine. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. This is true. This I can, is true. I, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so. Um, uh, so let's talk about some of the the challenges that you've seen. Um, what's the biggest? Actually, and I will I will I will give you a, a 
care here. One of the biggest challenges I know that we're getting feedback from is about application compatibility with the new operating system with Windows 7. Um, what experiences have you had with that? Probably if, if you had to break down a, a Windows 7 project, I think one of the ways that we look at it is that before we can even get to you know, deploying that um, new upgraded OS with all the new applications to the end users, I'd like to break it down in a really simple uh, methodology. About 20% of the work is core infrastructure, mm -hmm. building your images, getting your drivers, getting the new desktops ready to roll so that we can actually just roll out a new OS. The rest of the work inside of there is actually making sure that those applications are compatible with the, the new operating system and you run into you can run into uh, a myriad of challenges with that um, inclusive of you know application compatibility um, going between different versions maybe some 64-bit and 32-bit constraints that you could potentially have going between those different platforms and and that's traditionally where we see um, issues for most organizations getting the images built is kind of the easy yeah. part of the project working through all those applications is really the biggest challenge yeah. now as, as you're doing that compatibility and and, and you're looking at that, how does, how does one sort of gauge whether an application is compatible or not, or, um, you know, because usually, I know in my previous deployments, um, you know, it would always come back to the development team and say, okay, you guys kind of Just figure this out. Toss it over the Exactly, always toss it over to the, exactly, to the, developer it over to the developers. It doesn't work, make it work. Exactly. So, you know, here we are, we're looking at this application, and, you know, it might actually be something that, you know, someone made 10 years ago or something like that. We may or may not have a code base, not that that has ever happened um, <laughs> or will ever happen. Um, but let's assume the code is not there, then what? You know, like when we're talking about application compatibility, you know, is that a showstopper for moving over to a new OS or what do we do? There's all sorts of stuff and tools and available. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things you can do before you get started in that project is you can download a free tool from Microsoft, which is the Application Compatibility Toolkit. You can see if inside of the database that's uh, structured inside of there, uh, if those applications have already been tested for Windows 7 and for an x86 or, or uh, x64 bit platform, we can see if they're ready to go. And uh, also, we've got other options that maybe we could virtualize that application. So if that application is just really not going to run inside of the platform that we have, maybe we can put it on a virtualized desktop. Maybe we can put it on uh, a virtualized uh, remote desktop server or Citrix server. Or we can find different ways that we can structure it so that application doesn't maybe need to necessarily be nestled right into that core image, Get away, getting away from a lot of those you know, kind of compatibility issues. Yeah, yeah. And so you can also have it running in a uh, the Windows XP mode. Uh, although, I, one of my colleagues was uh, speaking on application compatibility actually down in the States, and he said a guy came up to him afterwards and said, uh, this is actually Stephen Rose, I don't know if you know from yes, Microsoft. Yes, I do. I do um, know him. And he said one of the guys came up to him and said, uh, hey, you know, this is great, XP mode. I've actually got 700 uh, desktops, and I actually have rolled out XP mode on all 700 so that I can... Um, I can run my old, my legacy applications as well as my new applications. And, and Stephen looks at him and says, "What would you want to manage 1,400 desktops for?" He says, "Oh, I don't manage 14 desktops. 1,400 desktops. I only manage 700." Well, no. You have to realize that every time you roll out XP mode, I mean, there's the good thing is that you can make the applications run in it. But the the other the the flip side to that is that you need to maintain it just as if you would an, a, a real desktop, even though it's virtualized. So then you have the answer to that is you got XP mode, but you also have the um, Microsoft. I'm horrible with with acronyms. It's the Microsoft MedV, Microsoft Enterprise Desktop Virtualization, um, which then packages that 
XP mode with some management pieces around ah, it. Makes sense. Anyways, just a little caveat there. <laughs> but, uh, now, is that so? Is that the only thing that you could do? Is there, um, you know, what about if you want to get rid of all that? You just want to put the application as it is on the desktop. And you're, you know, you're kind of worried about wrapping more management on top of stuff like that. Anything else? I know someone said to me, I'm trying to think of the word, something shimming of some sort. Yeah, so that's what the application compatibility ah, toolkit, right? Okay. Yeah, so um, so it's, it's like lying. That's my. I always think. Oh, lying. Like, when people ask me what a shim is, right? It's like a lie. You're lying to the application. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And and the thing is, is we can take and go through and shim the application so that we can get them to work. And what you can do is you can think of taking and you know winding back the clock on that application, saying we can take and we can run in different modes. Another issue that we could potentially run into with these applications that's often overlooked is uh, user account control and what that's going to do to those applications as well because yeah. that, that could have some pretty dire effects because with the introduction of user account control in Windows Vista and Windows 7, it's completely changed the way that we can write to structured areas inside of the registry and inside of the operating system. So what can end up happening with that is that the applications, the custom code, could have been trying to write to a specific area in the registry. Maybe it just can't anymore. It's locked out. It won't even allow it to write to those particular areas. So we have to sometimes tweak some of those UAC settings as well. So can you can you uh, explain a little more about, um, so you have this application and and it wants to write to a specific area or wants to um, do something that's not allowed in, in Windows. And what does the shim do? Well, the shim is going to take and is going to allow us to kind of um, override some of those specific settings inside of the application. You know, tweak some of the files, tweak some of the registry keys, tweak the way that the, the application is really going to work. Like you said, lying to the application. Yeah. And if shimming's if shimming's not going to work, we can always take and we can always look at potentially virtualizing that application too. But you know what? I think maybe you can give a little better description as to you know kind of what that shimming really looks like. Yeah, yeah. What you described was perfect. Um, um, so basically, the application says, "Oh, I want to write over here," and what the shim does is it's kind of wrapped around the, the application. It says, "Oh, you want to write there? Okay, go ahead and write there." But it actually redirects it to something that is valid or gives it the permissions it needs. But the the application doesn't know any different. It, it thinks it's just working the same as it as it wants to. Makes and sense. the shim, um, you know, just like you're, just like when you're you have a piece of furniture that. That's, that's out of balance, that application is not quite in balance, and the shim kind of makes it look like it is balanced and working the way it should work. Thereby technically then de-risking, de I guess, that yeah. particular application, because now you know that if it's been sort of remediated and you can move yes. on. I know you flipped to me uh, a presentation all about the enterprise licensing, and it's really funny because I got tasked with um, doing an article, a newsletter article on licensing, and let me tell you, I really don't like talking about licensing because it, it can, or I haven't in the past, because um, it can get really complicated and it um, people have very specific questions and people get very frustrated about licensing. So I'm preparing for this newsletter article and I had to do a lot of research on, on licensing and, and right now I'm focused on uh, 200, uh, under 250 devices or users. What do you need to do in order to be licensed? Um, and the next part is over that, which I haven't gotten to yet, although I know you, you have some information there, and also how to license online pieces. So, um, so basically we have these 
open licensing. I actually just wrote a blog post, um, so you can go to the blog and look at the post. And I lay it out really simply. I hope um, there's three options. I mean, you can go to a, a lot of well, a lot of companies go to a store and they do this. They go and they buy project or yep. they buy uh, Office or they buy uh, Windows off the shelf, and then they put it on their machines, and they don't realize this cost savings that they could get with uh, an open value uh, licensing agreement, a volume licensing agreement. And as well, then when you try to move from one uh, operating system to the next or the next version, you don't realize the savings or the tools that are built into that volume licensing agreement as well. Um, and maybe you can talk a bit about, uh, you know, I'm putting you totally on the spot here. He's looking at me going, don't ask me, don't ask me, um, how it works with the enterprise agreements as well. Um, so from what I understand, you have the select, and then you have the enterprise, which can be a subscription or a, or yeah. a not subscription. So don't quote me on being a licensing expert. No, here, none so. of us are licensing experts. This is so our disclaimer. With <laughs> with many of the, the large organizations, they're going to sign up for enterprise agreements. And with mm -hmm. the enterprise agreements, there's really two flavors of it. There's going to be a core cal, or there's going to be a enterprise uh, client access license. And pieces of those can take and can uh, they can be have Windows 7 coupled right into some of those agreements. Mm -hmm. And the interesting part about it that um, a lot of people don't realize, and we're talking about ways that you can de-risk your project, right? yeah. um, is there's actually software assurance vouchers that come back from Microsoft to assist organizations deploy yeah. solutions like Windows 7. So included in that program is a desktop deployment planning services. So depending on the size of your organization, you can actually leverage those vouchers to bring in a partner of your choice to come in and help assist with that project. Yeah. So it's a way that you can get more value, and do you know that I, I can't remember the number out there. It was something crazy, like over well over you know forty to fifty percent of those vouchers never get spent every year. It's amazing. That's like free money or free services. Everyone, a lot of the emails that we get in are people going, "Hey, I've got, um, I'm trying to do this deployment. Can you help me?" And I'm like, "Well, I can't myself go out and help you, but we've got great partners. And if you have software assurance, you've got." vouchers already to go out and, and use those services, so that's really important. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's a great way to just kickstart that project, too. Yeah. And the whole thing is, too, is that most organizations only do a deployment, especially an operating system deployment, say, you know, once or twice in the lifetime of, of a couple of the IT folk that are there. So if you're within an organization, you may not be doing deployments constantly, but if you bring in a consultant, they've been to most, multiple organizations, and they're, this is, they're, they have the experience and the expertise because they've been doing this over and over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you get to gain their expertise from those different sites they've gone to and once again accelerate your projects that you have too. Yeah. Ask your consultants. Be straightforward with them. Ask them how we can take and expedite this. Everybody's budget crunched today. Yeah. So how can we take and do this? Yeah. So uh, I have to throw it out there just yeah. because, you know, it's, uh, it's like the, the one thing that is there and nobody talks to and stuff like that. XP support. Ending <laughs> April 2014. No, April 8th, 2014. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought it's... Yeah. Well, here we go. See, she introduced specific. April 8th. As you guys That's know. It's like almost just over 800 days away. Doesn't the calendar end in 2012? Yeah, so forget it. You don't need to worry about it. So I, I'm still stuck on the fact that you know how many days that is. I actually have a counter on my desktop that counts down for me. So the question to you is, do you have a counter on your desktop? If you go to the Springboard site, you too can have a gadget on your desktop which counts down. Okay, so back to my question. <laughs> um, with the impending end of support, um, and you know we're talking about risk, we're talking about operating systems and stuff like that, those of uh, you know the audience that are still part of 
XP, okay. right? What do we do? How do we use that software assurance and, and partners and stuff like that, like you said, to kind of help um, start the process away from XP? Well, well first you have to assess, what, do you have software assurance? You know, um, and, and, can, and, and if, you, if you have it, are you using it? Um, uh, so, and then if not, then then contact your um, your your retail not retailer the reseller for so whether it's Soft Choice or um, Soft Choice is the only one that comes to mind right now. But I'm sure there's a number of them. I'm sure I'm going to get you know hammered after this that I didn't mention them all. But anyways, <laughs> you notice how I'm nice and quiet about that. I know, that. I know. I know. <laughs> so, um, so I have yeah. I have an easy solution for okay. that. So the end of life. Yes. What we need to do is we need to accelerate those projects. We need to find a way to really kick those projects in high gear. And one of the ways to do it is to enable your users with self-service options. Ooh, wouldn't, yes. wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if your end users could actually shop for not only their applications but their Windows 7 migration as well? Love so it. they could schedule it themselves on their terms, on their time, so on. And this, so that this stuff is possible. It is. It and is. I'm not, and I'm not just asking that to be, uh, to be, you know, uh, humorous or anything. I'm actually surprised that and you so can do is, that. This is, the, this is the type of stuff that Dave does. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah. so with with the company that I work for, One E, right now, we've actually got some canned solutions around uh, shopping, specifically for applications already packaged and published through Microsoft's configuration manager, as well as uh, the newest version we have now has full support for uh, self serve shopping for Windows Seven deployments as well, which is very cool. Yeah, because okay. now what you have to think about is most organizations have a challenge where they don't have enough IT professionals to actually go out there and deploy these applications, deploy these operating systems. They can't physically touch every desktop. I don't care if you're 10 users or if you're 10,000. It's, right. it's a challenge for every organization. Especially if you're geographically distributed yep. as yeah. well. Ex yeah. Exactly. And then take on take also the into account the fact that you can now distribute the software over very high latency links. So now we like can, your oil we can rigs? distribute. Yeah, yeah. So think of it this way: I'm sitting on the oil rig, and it's time for me to upgrade my Windows 7 or my Windows XP desktop to Windows 7. I go into the lovely little shopping portal. I select my Windows 7 migration. I choose all the nice new applications that I'd like to have coming down, either streamed through application virtualization or delivered through Microsoft Configuration Manager, and it's a nice package solution. Yeah. And so some interesting metrics around that is organizations have been able to go from deploying let's say 500 desktops a week to over 5,000 desktops a week. Wow. And how, and how does that de-risk the entire process? Like obviously, it sounds great, um, and obviously definitely highly recommend it, but you know, the, the concern that um, you know, our viewers probably have is, okay, well, that sounds all great, and, and is, there, is there a risk or is there a worry, a concern that we should keep in mind if people are doing stuff like that but on their own. your end users can't shop themselves? Like right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, putting, it, putting a lot of power or organizational governance, governance or, yeah. uh, you know, like you said, that program management aspect of it, um, how does that play into into all of it? Oh, it definitely changes the way that you, you, you approach traditional software delivery. 
Um, traditional software delivery would look something like this. I don't care if it's going to be for Windows 7 new desktop, if it's a chair, if it's uh, if it's going to be a piece of software. Traditionally, we, we cut a ticket. The ticket goes to somebody, sits in, in their queue for up to a week, then a week later they get to it, then they approve it, and then two or three weeks later we actually get that piece of software. Most organizations don't have a way to automate that process in behind. So what you do uh, in regards to de-risking the entire scope of the project is you add some automation. So this is this is a big buzzword that we have in industry, not just around Windows 7, but you know data center operations and you know the whole concept of private clouds, public clouds, things like that. Automation in behind and orchestration in behind these solutions is really key. And especially in Canada, we're resource constrained. We don't have enough people. If every organization in Canada today tried to deploy Windows 7, there wouldn't be enough resources available for them to actually maintain this. We don't physically have enough people. So how do we de-risk it? We let the systems do more of the work. And this is the whole concept of having an optimized, if we're talking about desktop infrastructure, an optimized desktop infrastructure, but it's 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 bigger than that. It's yeah. it's um, happening at our data centers. It's all self-service. When we talk about private cloud um, and, and having people being able to, to uh, serve up what they need when they need it and having a lot of things automated and shifting in the back end, um, that the IT folk are maintaining, but not having to do all the grunt work all the time. That the stuff that that gets left for you know week, two weeks, a month, you know three months until it can happen. Would it be fair to say that many of the um, jobs that we have traditionally as a system analyst, the people that would be looking after you know setting up these applications to be distributed, would be repetitive? It'd be the same thing over and over and over yeah. again. Same application, different flavor, need to go input it into the console. Well, what if we could have the end user driving a bunch of that workflow and process in behind? So this is the big fear, though, right? Um, so the system analyst is, is listening to us talking, going, my, my job is, is at risk. But I think IT is changing. IT as an industry is changing, and, and IT jobs are changing. Of course. Yeah, and so either you need to understand that and position yourself um, so that you can change with with it or not, and, and I think this is this is huge. Well, and you mentioned a very key word to that change. Mm. Anybody that works in IT <laughs> has to has to accept change. It, it's just it something sort of that comes in our industry. Part of the job, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, talking about change, talking about doing things differently, we're starting to talk about future, right? So, you know, how does one look at something like this. So obviously that's something that we're, we're going to have to do at one point. You're going to have to do a deployment at one point. On the infrastructure side and maybe on the application from an application compatibility side, what can we do now in planning for that kind of future to say, um, kind of start thinking about um, how to prevent it from being as big of a project when you actually it's, go to do it. Especially if you're in an in a XP world right now and, it, and you're looking at this to going, wow, this is going to be a really manual process. How can yeah. you make it so you build in the automation right. with this project so that you know, future desktop um, reorganization and custom and apps custom and stuff apps. like that is yeah, not so much an issue. It's a big deal. One word that IT managers and people listening need to pick up from this, um, from this uh, screencast or blogcast that we're doing here is rationalization. They need to take and rationalize what it is that they're trying to do with this project. If you take and if you run something like the Microsoft Application Compatibility Toolkit, it'll spit back thousands of applications that you have. 
out of those thousands of applications, which ones are really core, critical applications to your business? And that's what you need to focus on. You need to focus on those applications. The, the ones that are on the tail end, they can maybe wait till you know, beyond even after the desktops are delivered. Maybe we can find a way to take and deliver those applications in another flavor, the ones that aren't going to be part of that core set, and that's really what people need to start with. Makes sense. The, yeah. the engineering behind building an image, drivers, things like that, that's well documented, that's well defined. The biggest pain points that organizations have are, are by far are going to be their applications. Yeah. So I think if I heard you correctly then, um, and, and of, of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if we, if we, <laughs> of course, um, if we want to package it all up and we want to say in one line, um, in order to de-risk your deployment, Windows 7 in this case, right? Um, rationalize your apps. And if you're rationalized, you should be good to and go. And part of that is understanding your business. So not only understanding the technology, but understanding your business and the processes so that you can, so that you can rationalize what technology you have. Here's all the technology, here's all the applications you're running, what is actually needed, and what can be approved upon, and what can be streamlined. Makes sense. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for those that are currently amidst a deployment, any advice for um, those guys that are, are right now in it and in already it. assuming that rationalization is already done, or maybe not, um, Hire Dave. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Clearly, you see, he knows what he's talking about. So, um, I, I think it's never too late to take a look at some of the tools that are out there to to assist. Um, I've seen a lot of projects that have been in flight for 12, 18 months now, and in a lot of cases, they get uh, they'll get stalled. And the reason they get stalled is, is organizations get lost in the in the midst of trying to organize all of those those applications and what it is yeah. that they're going to be needing on that core desktop on that core platform. So it's, it's, a, it's a continual effort that organizations have to have to be diligent about taking and um, managing and maintaining that fleet of apps that they have and really changing the thought process that we have around you know, either delivering apps, acquiring apps, and how we're going to take and give that, that end user a great experience. And where they sit. Yes. You know, we didn't even talk about you know, online apps and cloud apps uh, versus on-premise. and it's going to be a whole other... Uh a whole discussion. Maybe I'll have to come back again. We'll have yeah. another discussion. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, good. naturally, I heard the word cloud. cloud. So we're going to have ears pit for yeah, We're going to have to have that discussion for sure. But in the meantime, unfortunately, we are done for yeah. today. Yeah. Wow, time goes by so quickly every single time. I don't get it. I do. Well, we talked about interesting things. That's true. So that's we have interesting yes. And yes. and of course, that's true also. And of course, that means that we'll keep them coming back. Yes. So with that. All right, thank you very much for this episode. Thanks a lot, Dave, for thank joining you, us. Thank you. And uh, as, as always, a pleasure, Jonathan. Likewise, and thanks <laughs> to you right. guys for joining in. Again, as always, if you have any questions or anything like that, uh, we're always here, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, the Align IT LinkedIn group as well. Um, the more questions, the merrier. We're happy to, uh, to answer this for you. So until next month, have a good one. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.